Wait, are we not doing The Grudge tonight? I never liked the Japanese horror movies. I mean, with The Grudge, though, I guess you could do either the Japanese version or the American version. Uh, hell, the American version was directed by the same director as the Japanese version. Was it? Yeah. That's pretty unique. Oh, yeah. That's why it's almost identical to them, except for, you know, they bring in an American actress. I think I saw it in theaters, which contradicts the whole thing of me hating Japanese. <laughs> pretty sure I saw that in theaters. I must have been dragged along with that by a friend. Actually... We're doing the furthest thing from a Japanese horror film today. Yeah, we're doing a, I guess you could call it a Bermuda Triangle horror movie? Can we even say a horror movie? Probably not. I mean, does anyone equate Eddie Murphy as horror? Without looking it up, take a stab at what the IMDb rating is for Vampire in Brooklyn. Two guesses. 4.5. That's really close. <laughs> you must have looked this up. Right? <laughs> Never mind. I was thinking he was actually going to come off the cup, but he's clearly, I think it's actually like a 4.6 or a 4.5. He's right on the money. <laughs> so I'm trying to frame basically the perception of Vampire in Brooklyn because. I wouldn't consider it a bad movie. I wouldn't consider it a good movie. It, to me, it's mediocre. It's hard to place. Yeah. 1995 movie starring Eddie Murphy, directed by Wes Craven. Holy shit, just saying that, this would have been my childhood dream come true. Eddie Murphy, Wes Craven doing a horror movie together. What could be better? They had Angela Bassett. John Witherspoon. Him too. Kadeem Hardison. From Different World. Alan Payne. From the Payne House. This cast is pretty good. Or House of Payne, however you say that. Well, he's, in New, he's in New Jack City. He was on A Different World also with Kadeem Hardison, actually, believe it or not. Really? More I did of not a, know that one. More of a guest occurring role, oh, okay. sorry, a main cast member. That cast with that director, man. How do they shit the bed this bad? I don't know, man. I want to love this movie so much. I'm so wanting to love this movie. This is one of my favorite directors, one of my favorite actors. My favorite genre. It's vampires. It's Brooklyn. I mean, this is like... Not this should be the best thing since Jason Takes Manhattan. And by the way, I just want to say that this perfect unplanned symmetry, the last podcast we posted was Jason Takes in Manhattan. We're going from that to Vampire in Brooklyn. Well, we didn't want to travel too far from yeah. the original site. Jason Takes Manhattan, Vampire in Brooklyn. I'm just saying. Perfect symmetry, completely unplanned. Who knew? No, it was planned because I didn't feel like walking from Manhattan to all the way to fucking Milbog. Where did Nilba come from? <laughs> well, that is that is a magical place where great movies are made. So no. any, I'm down for any Nilba references we want to do. So my perception before seeing Vampire in Brooklyn, Eddie Murphy, Wes Craven, watching the trailer, Eddie Murphy in that, that hairdo, which he himself hated. Okay, that gives me some pause. Maybe this is not going to be as good as I'm thinking based on how Eddie Murphy looks. I'm still thinking we're going to get a good movie here. Do you remember your first ever... Uh, taking in a vampire in Brooklyn. So, first, I want to tell this story of when I almost rented this movie and was talked out of it by my brothers. So, How dare they? So, we were in the movie store looking through, I was looking through the horror movies because it's my favorite genre. My brothers were looking through all the action. And of course, we, and I don't know if any other households did this, but what we did was each child pretty much picked a movie. And then at night, we would kind of rotate the movies, keep it to where you didn't see which movie, and then one of us randomly grabs a movie, and whatever movie was grabbed was the one we watched at that moment. Huh. I can see the benefits of being an only child. So. I was about to choose Vampire in Brooklyn, you know, because at the time I was a little kid. I like vampires. Technically still do. But uh, Twilight was a kick-ass movie, so. You're fired. Okay, you were talking about the Twilight books, not the movies. You're okay. fired. Well, <laughs> continue your story, right? We are going to be crucified now. <laughs> it's good enough for Jesus. We can we can take that. Go ahead. Continue your story. So, you, were, you were at Blockbuster. 
You got three videos. You almost got Vampire Brooklyn. So, and then my brothers looked at the movie and went, we don't want to watch that. I was like, why? Well, here's how we can tell you the movie. Talk, talk, talk. A vampire bite. Talk, talk, talk. Vampire bite. Talk, talk, talk. Random fight that makes no goddamn sense. Movie over. Well, they were like 80% right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I, put I the mean, movie. they were making some big assumptions there. Yeah, they happen to be correct, but not all vampire movies are like that. Well, no, not all. They just said this one was. This all the ones we've had podcasts so about. So I ended so. up putting the movie away and watched and grabbed John Carpenter's Vampires instead. Wait, this brings up an interesting question because we're going to spend a lot of this podcast trying to figure out what genre this movie is. So you found it in the horror section. Yes. Well, that's interesting because I don't know if this would have been theoretically in the comedy section, the horror section, the romantic comedy section. No, no, maybe not that. Not going to lie. I did not really find this movie all that funny. Well, I didn't find it to be all that scary. We might have a problem here. I mean, I didn't find it scary either, but that's besides the point. I didn't find it to be comedic either. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> all right, well, this is the problem because we got Horror Master Wes Craven, and we got one of the best comedians of all time, Eddie Murphy. Something's got to give. How are we going to get an overabundance of horror, an overabundance of comedy, a perfect mix, or... Neither. Not enough of either. We're almost giving our final thoughts, basically, and this is the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, save some of this for the, the later stages of the podcast. People are like, oh, they already give all the thoughts. But I think it's uh, the point I was trying to make, basically, was that one of the big things we're figuring out as we go through the plot, essentially for me, is what genre this is. Because this movie's trying to accomplish a lot at once, and failing to do so in many ways personally i'd put this this more under romance than i would horror or comedy because you get more romance than anything i'm feeling you're thinking about the relationship between john witherspoon and kadeem hardison i'm feeling you man you're you're right there they definitely got some romantic chemistry right they're brothers but i think there's more going on there than what they're leaning on okay so first first he says twilight's a badass movie when twilight is just a movie that deserves to be burned at the stake Anyways, I don't want to... I read the books. Please put me out of my misery. Oh, my goodness. I mean, listen, I... <laughs> I listen, I, I served the ammunition, but he shot himself in the head there, right? Yeah. So, I brought it up, but I didn't tell him to actually read the books. He did that on his own. So... My wife made me. So, wait, wait. Get back to uh, this being a romance. Uh, explain that. How do you get that? Because I feel a lot more chemistry from the romantic perspective of Maximilian and Angela Bassett's character, which I already forgot her damn name. Well, I, have it, I have it written somewhere. Well, listen, I'm, let's keep it simple. Let's just say Eddie Murphy and Angela Bassett, because <laughs> this is not a movie where we need to know the characters' names, all right? The no. actors' names will suffice. But yeah, I get more of a connection between Angela and Eddie's romance than I did with any kind of the comedy, any of the horror, or any of the cop stuff because they try to throw kind of a police story kind of BS into this too. Alright, so for me, this is a triple fail because I didn't get any romantic chemistry between them either, so <laughs> that didn't work for me either. I, I see what they're trying to do, but I never got a sense that they had any chemistry. Anything she does where she may like him, which we'll get into, it seems like it was just him using his vampire mind control to seduce her, essentially, so... We find out vampires apparently live in Bermuda. Laura Bermuda is usually covered in fog. The Bermuda Triangle. Yes. But isn't Bermuda itself... In the Caribbean. Like an island, tropical island? Yeah. Uh, come on, man. That's not where a vampire would be. That's just ridiculous. Well, if it's covered in fog, why wouldn't they live on a giant-ass ship in the Bermuda Triangle? To be honest, when I first watched this movie, I thought he said Atlantis, not Atlantic. We do know that we start off at a dock with Julius, who's Kadeem Hardison, John Witherspoon. And they're hanging out. Oh, one thing I want to mention, I had written this down also. The score over the opening titles is creepy. It's actually a scary score. Ooh, this is about to be a scary movie. But hey, the goodwill built from that is about to be erased pretty soon. Once you see John Witherspoon. 
Which, it's already erased. Which, I mean, listen, if you, when you cast John with a spoon... You already know it's going to be a comedy. You're thinking comedy. So they're hanging at the dock. They both work at the dock, apparently, although John with a spoon actually really works at the dock. And... Julius just claims just they're that they're watching. Well, he says he he says he runs the numbers. He leaves pretty quickly once a damn ship comes well, sailing right into the dock. Well, fuck it, I would too. Especially when you find out Julius is actually being hunted by the damn mafia. Oh yeah, but he, he he's not putting that together with the damn big ass mysterious ship that crashes in the dock. You never know the mafia. Can the do mafia goes to some Great Lakes to get old Julius. <laughs> like, hey, well, you know what? We can stay out of his apartment and get him, or. We could have a mysterious ship crash into his damn dock where his brother works and get him that way. You really what? think that was going through Julius's mind? Hell yeah! You know what I thought happened? I thought that this is the damn boat from Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> and then, and by the way, when now John Witherspoon goes to investigate the boat, starts finding these dead bodies, I'm like, this is the damn boat that Jason was on. Think about it. Jason Takes Manhattan, the boat. This boat hit docks at Brooklyn. Is either a vampire in this boat or it's motherfucking Jason. But here's the issue. If it was the Jason Takes Manhattan boat, why was there no dead, like, Asian girl in the disco floor? Hey, they just didn't get to that room yet. <laughs> that was a deleted scene. It was a cut scene. <laughs> and what the deleted scene is he goes to one room and he sees Kelly Hu choked out on the floor. And he's like, oh, shit, it's the Jason boat. As, as is, we have a, a boat with a bunch of dead people on it. And, and they did. John Weatherspoon is attacked by a black wolf. Big ass wolf, as he later claims. Wolf, wolf. Big ass wolf. He was a big ass wolf. Did you not see the damn thing? Now, the wolf, a really cool shot, like up against the shadows, transforms into a figure, which may or may not be. It's Eddie Murphy. It's Eddie Murphy. The movie is trying to play with some suspense here. But look, at this point, and I think, I think you were watching this and you actually texted me. I think you said something like, Either the beginning was menacing or that Eddie was actually menacing. Well, at the beginning, yeah, Eddie Murphy was play, able to play off a menacing character. Yeah. Up until he opened his big mouth. Yeah, once he starts talking, <laughs> on. first let's get back to Julius. Julius gets kicked out by his girlfriend, as I I, I knew it. <laughs> and who was waiting outside? The mafia. The mafia. Now this is more normal. Tony and Anthony. Yeah, not not them hiring a damn ghost ship to crash in the dock to get him, but them quietly waiting outside till he gets kicked out. Well, and they, now they found out. Him. They found out that Julius made it out alive. So they were like, well, can't send, you got to send a man to do a ship's job. So they chase our would-be protagonist down a, a dark alleyway? Hell no. I don't think he's a protagonist. Most protagonists don't run from creepy-ass ghost ships. Hey, in most horror movies, you, the character you're first introduced to, the one you're following, typically is the protagonist. Then technically except, Eddie Murphy, because we were introduced except, to his voice. Except Drew Barrymore and Scream. No, yeah, but, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Well, he's the narrator, though, so... Oh, by the way, actually, big mistake, in my opinion, to have Eddie Murphy's narration open it up. Because that, again, just takes the horror element out of it. Well, now we know where the vampires come from. We got vampires in Transylvania, got vampires in Bermuda, got vampires in fucking Egypt. And whatever city that, that, that Twilight movie took place in. There was a whole vampire family there, remember? Well, you read the book, so clearly you remember. Anyways, um, yeah, and you know what? What do you think about Eddie's accent? It's fake. Fake, yeah. I thought... <laughs> At least he was pretty consistent with it, though. It wasn't, well, yeah. it wasn't going in and out. Sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes people with actors' accents, like, they can't keep it consistent. This is at least kind of, he did a good job of keeping it pretty steady. Well, that's because Eddie Murphy is a good actor in general. Great. Good no, actor, great comedian. No matter what we go on to say about this movie, it's no slight to Eddie, who, I mean, he's committed to his character. He's actually doing a good job. Back to Julius, who is about to get killed by the mafia. They're about to shoot him. Or tie, or uh, put their feet in wet cement, wait for it to dry, and then throw them overboard. Yeah, that would have been actually 
a fun way to do it also, but they're practical. They're like, let's just shoot them. So. But that's a waste of money. You know how much bullets cost? Yeah, but think about the time lost by having to do having to turn his feet into concrete popsicle and throw them over the, the oh, boat. Oh, but they so. get to have so much fun torturing them at the same time. Well, okay. For another movie, maybe. We need to get to Eddie Murphy <laughs> introducing himself. So we ain't got time for that. He's got to save him from the bullet and then uh, make mincemeat out of these two well, uh, mafia first guys. Well, first Eddie Murphy uh, tells them I'm pretty much death and then gets shot. And he says, interesting, I've been shot. I've been hanged. No, actually says, I've been hanged. I've been I, hanged, I've been shot, I've been stabbed. No, I've no, been no, hanged, no, no. I've been stabbed, I've been hung. But never shot before. Yeah, but never shot. It kind of itches. <laughs> but next time, put a little heart in it. As he stabs the guy in the heart, and I'm thinking. He doesn't stab, he punches straight through. His hand is a stab, so... His hand is a stab, so... It has more force than a knife. So he turned into Scyther from Pokemon? (laughs) It punches through his heart like Mike Tyson in this motherfucker. (laughs) And pulls it out, and you got a cool shot of him holding the guy's heart in his hand. The guy's just like, oh, oh my God. Falls over. So, no longer scary, but I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be hilarious. Because he's given one-liners and then punched the dude in the heart. This is like Freddy Krueger. He's like, put a little heart into it. I'm having fun. Um, the other guy, he, you remember what happened to the other guy? Yeah, he jumps over the car and then completely tears <laughs> him apart. <laughs> Limbs. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. Because I'm like, okay, this is going to least turn up the comedy, basically. Because he's like throwing the guy's arms up and then it was just, and you hear Julius running down the street. After, now that was the dumbest thing ever. Because remember, Eddie Murphy told him, don't run. Yeah, well. And he runs. You know, if you're Julius, you see him. Well, first thing you're relieved because he just saved you from the mafia, but you did see him do some crazy shit. Well, um, yeah, but at the same time, do you really want to piss off someone who's worse than the mafia? No. Exactly. So he runs into a warehouse, and I can only think that Eddie Murphy must have flew to the warehouse because Julius had a huge head start running, but Eddie Murphy ends up in front of him in the warehouse. Well, yeah, because Eddie Murphy is a vampire. He can teleport. He can fly. Not teleport, fly. He can teleport. He's not J- He's not Jason from Jason Takes Manhattan. Well, that, according to you, he is. Well, I mean, listen. Being on the ship, maybe the ship had tele- telekinetic powers. Anyways. Oh, by the way, dude, what was his character's name in Jason Takes Manhattan? Julius. Yeah, I'm but just ju- saying the that quick- Julius died. He got his head punched off. You can't win them all. He got a, he got a, a, yeah, but the a second round is, KO. The problem is most fights do not end with your head being punched right off. And then falling into a trash can where the lid closes. Yeah, that's just because Jason didn't want to litter. Do you know how much the fine is for littering in New York? I appreciate him being an environmentalist in that moment. Um, anyways, our vampire, Eddie Murphy, he turns him into a ghoul. Um, which, at this time, though, we actually don't know what a ghoul is, per se. Well, technically, we somewhat do. They are a vampire's uh, helper, daytime helpers, really. Is this basically he's playing the same role now as the dude from Fright Night? Yeah. For was playing for um, the guy there. Yeah. Basically, to watch over his coffin. Protect him when needed. Uh, do any kind of bidding he needed to be done during the daytime. You know, so vampires might not be so strong because they're not self-sufficient. They need help. Well, yeah, but at the same time, they're forcing this help. It's not like they're hiring this guy. What about all the vampires in the world that don't have a ghoul? Are they just shit out of luck like during the day? Like they don't have anybody helping well, them out? Considering the fact that that narration stated that Maximilian is the last vampire from the Bermuda uh, sect. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, I'm speaking more about <laughs> the vampire universe, all movies of vampires. Every vampire should have like a helper, almost like a blind dude with a dog. Unless you're Blade. You can go out during the daytime. Um, 
What do you call a whistler? That was definitely a helper for Blade. Yeah. But he wasn't Shaw. a ghoul. Shaw. Shaw. Helper. He wasn't a ghoul. I mean, basically, he was a ghoul. You see, Whistler? <laughs> he looked like he was on some shit, so. Anyways. Well, for one, that's because okay. it was Chris Christopherson. Blade doesn't count, though, because he is. He's half human, half vampire. He's a mix of the both. All their strengths and their weaknesses. The Daywalker. So he doesn't count. I mean, more like the dudes and Lost Boys. Like, did each of them have helpers? No. Yeah, they have each other. And they're all sleeping during the day. <laughs> <laughs> They've all taken the sleep medication right before daytime. Ooh, that, that's- um, so this, when he turns into a ghoul and now starts explaining his plan to Julius, this is where all horror starts to slip away completely. Because no, now we're hearing Eddie talk like in full conversation and he's explaining his plan which basically is that he has to find a wife here in brooklyn well not just any wife a half vampire wife right because right here somewhere in brooklyn yep i don't know why she had to be this particular girl you'd think with any uh, he could make any woman into a vampire and be no but remember well i guess we'll find out later her father was like a vampire there's some history has with her father right. that makes her the one because otherwise agree he didn't have to come to brooklyn he could just find any vampire on the boat he could have turned someone and been that well I de- if you didn't notice there was no women on that boat none of those dead bodies were women that's because they didn't go in the dance room where kelly's body was all right the disco room like john this boom started screaming left before he got out of the disco room that's all i won't lie deleted scene dvd Kelly who? Um, nah. Yeah. Well. Uh, <laughs> and but here's the here's the catch. He has to find her, make her remember by that who she is by the next full moon, which we can assume is only days away. And he mentions that he can't force her to do anything. She has to willingly come with him. You know, willingly dance with him, willingly let him nom nom on her. You know the usual. So this is going to be quite the challenge for old Maximilian here, all right? I mean, he's got to find the girl first. What's the, listen, Brooklyn is not a smally populated place. It's not a small population. It's not like Nobog. He's got to have to look through and find her. So Angela falls through the floor, through the one of the decks of the boat where she sees the coffin. What the hell? What kind of coincidence <laughs> is this? She happens to be a cop investigating the boat that he came on? Oh, lucky for Maximilian. It's going to be quite easy to find his wife, I guess. Well, yeah, because especially since he goes there, looks at her, and he just goes, it's you. So really, in real life, realistically, the first half of this movie should have been just him finding her. And killing a lot of people in the process. We could just rewrote the first half of the movie and made it a better movie. <laughs> Instead, he goes right back to the boat after no search at all. It's you. Well, I mean, of course. I mean, she would be a cop, of course. So, he's already found her. And Julius's ear was left behind. Well, Julius is going to find out that there's some, uh, some hazards that come with being a ghoul. Like decomposition. Like uh, John Witherspoon's going to say later on, you got the dropsies. He's going to continue to have the dropsies. Well, John Witherspoon's about to get the dropsies put on him soon. Yeah, that's true, too. Okay, wait a minute. So, we introduced her in the funniest way possible. <laughs> she's a cop investigating. She's called to the scene of the crime with her partner, Alan Payne. And John Witherspoon, of course, is the key witness here, so he's explaining what he saw. I, I remember John Witherspoon's character's name, because I have it written here. Silas. True. He, do, he doesn't care about Julius's uh, declining, deteriorating body looks. Him and Julius are brothers or cousins? I think cousins. Yeah, okay. True. So he does, doesn't give a shit about his family, then, as long as he gets money. 
they got a real and and actually he works on the the boat but he's also the landlord hey, at the apartment man's got man's doing multiple jobs well I don't, does he even work at the yard anymore because after that one scene he's never there again no he's never seen there again <laughs> he's always on the stoop in front of the apartment building he's always just hanging there and before anyone says well it's because he works the night shift Guess no, what? during the night, he's on the stoop, too. Exactly. He's always there. You see him there, you see him in the apartment trying to collect rent from Julius. Maybe the dock got closed down since a oh, damn yeah. boat with dead bodies sailed into it. So here's the biggest cliche ever. Um, and we find this cliche a little early to be expected. This is a two-hour-long movie. Yet, we find a, yet in not even 30 minutes, we find someone who knows about everything going on. Yes, and this is always a fail when you have a character that's just there for exposition, to give plot details, give background, how to take out the vampire, how to do this, how to do that. You know, they had that in uh, Child's Play too, I think. Remember the um, the voodoo guy? Oh, yeah. Or at least, at least Chucky killed him and put him out of his misery, but... And then, you know, we finally get uh, Angela finally meeting Eddie for the first time, technically. In the bar In the, in the club, club scene, yeah. yes. In the club, he finally meets her. He's he's turned up his charm. He's almost got her to about to dance with her, and all of a sudden, here comes Julius. Yeah, Julius is well. He's getting on the job training. He doesn't know how to be a ghoul. He's adjusting to it. He pretty much screws him up. Oh yeah, cause he just make he try. He's thinking he's about to make him look so much better, and then all of a sudden, he just makes Eddie look worse and worse. And you could tell by Eddie's face, like, dude, shut up. This is going to begin, uh, one of the fun parts of the movie, I guess, fun but doesn't make a lot of sense, is their love and hate relationship between Eddie and his ghoul because it takes a very small trigger to piss off Maximilian. And some scenes are buddy-buddy, like he's like a, a true mentor figure, give him compliments. But then there's some scenes where either chokes him out or burns his neck or does something. So their dynamic doesn't make sense to me, but I'm entertained by their dynamic, even though it doesn't make sense. Oh, right. So Justice gets Rita... Yeah, I found out Angela's name now. Justice. No, Rita is Angela's name. Justice is Alan Payne. His name is Justice? Yeah. What the hell? He takes her home. She invites him in, and we meet Nikki. Probably. A useless character. Yes. She's clearly here for plot contrivance reasons. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Nikki because I don't want to disrespect the dad, but. (laughs) She doesn't last long. She disrespected herself. She doesn't last long in this movie, and... She's killed as a plot device there. No, she's also killed in the most excruciating way possible. And I don't mean what happens to the character. I mean what happens to the audience. This is why I want to to riff a little bit because it's not the kind of movie I want to go through each scene by scene. I just want to get hit some more, uh, some general notes here. So that that was a general note. Max kills (laughs) Nikki. Max kills Nikki. (laughs) Things are pretty thin here in the story. So we're actually getting to the the, the halfway point of the movie already, basically. So things are pretty thin. So I just want to hit some general beats here. I'm not connecting with Angela Bassett's character or Alan Payne's character. That's because they're generic. Very dry in this movie. They're very dry. And they both do some good acting in the later days. But there's no sense of humor there. There's no fun, no chemistry. They're really paint by the numbers characters. And the problem with this is that theoretically, Eddie Murphy's supposed to be our villain. And every villain needs a good protagonist, good good guy, to make them a better villain. And he's not waiting. he's not getting that support here. I'm about to say, I'm still waiting. But uh while we're waiting, we can watch him kill a preacher and then transform into that preacher. And then have the most useless scene in the entire damn movie. Hilarious though. When he gives the speech 
as goes, the preacher. It literally goes on for like 20,000 minutes. But he gets them to be like, cheating is good. Evil is good. It's the best sermon ever. It was. The He's pushing that most, and they're buying it. That was the worst waste of damn time I've ever seen in a movie. It was funny to see Eddie kill himself. <laughs> he had to kill the preacher first. So he, in fact, killed himself in the van. Right. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen too often in a film where someone, an actor kills himself. But we do get a little bit more lore about the vampire of this world. Because he even states after he's done with the whole worth waste of waste of a scene. Yeah. And Julius is like, well, why don't you turn into justice? Because he needs evil for – I need to know his evil before I can transform into him. Now, that's a very interesting thing. I would like that to be in general vampire mythology because that's very interesting. So we're, we're left with Eddie only being able to transform people that are already evil. Like this, like this Italian guy. Well, not really just evil, but I think it's more or less do they have a dark side that he can exploit. Yeah, but... Like for the preacher, it was alcohol. Okay, you're telling me this just guy has no dark side? Allegedly. I mean, look at his name. <sighs> okay, what about this Italian guy? Listen. Max kills Guido. I like the guy's name. And he kills himself again. <laughs> And this has never been done before. He killed himself twice. Maybe he, maybe Eddie was Nikki also. <laughs> hey, maybe. Name one damn movie where Eddie Murphy does not play multiple characters. Yeah, but this is funny. <laughs> this is like Night Professor except he's killing all the versions of himself. This is what he's really doing. He's killing off the other Eddie Murphy. He's killing off Nikki, the Italian dude, or the preacher dude also. So Eddie Murphy did the one before Jet Li? Yeah. <laughs> this is really a spinoff of the one, so... Now I'm seeing what the plot is about, really. I'm He's got to go around and kill everybody who is himself. This is like the Eddie Murphy version of that, remember that Will Smith movie that came out where... Gemini Man? Yeah, this is Gemini Man, except it's, he's in Brooklyn and he's a vampire, <laughs> so... Now it all makes sense to me. Thank goodness, this revelation. So, we'll mention, because Rita and Justice, they just argue the entire damn movie. And it's always because, you know, one little thing sets off Rita. And we're supposed to like this, these two's relationship, and yet one little thing sets off an argument between these two. Tells me they do not have a good relationship. There's a, um, it's kind of a romantic comedy cliche where the characters argue all the time, and but it really means they like each other. So I know they're going for that. The idea, of, like all these arguing, is because it's to cover up the the sexual tension between them and that they really like each other. But you're right. In these scenes, they just seem annoyed with each other. They don't seem. I'm not seeing the undercurrent of love. I'm seeing an undercurrent of, I'm gonna ask for a new partner. <laughs> right. So I don't, I didn't really buy it. And that's the problem. The movie, again, the movie, as it builds now, we, we can start to get the, the, the pieces are moving in place now. We're like, okay, on one side we have Maximilian and Julius. These are our villains, supposedly, even though these are the characters we like the most. <laughs> on the other side we have Justice and, um, and uh, Angela Bassett. And, these are the flat characters in the movie who are not charismatic, have no reason for us to cheer them. Yeah, so let's not, just cheer on that Max gets to nibble on Rita's neck. I'm down for him winning. They go live happily ever after in the Bermuda Triangle and then hang out with the Twilight Kids. Yeah, that doesn't happen, but now we get to finally get out of the BS second act and well, into the third. That's because there's no justice in the world, all right? So... There's a scene where Julius eats a cockroach, and it's hilarious. <laughs> Do you remember this scene? There's a cockroach on the wall, and he eats it. He calls it a Happy Meal. Yeah, oh. in the police station, I believe. Yeah. 
It's like a little moment, but he's like, he's so excited to eat the cockle. He's like, mmm, good. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so finally, it seems like Max is about to win. Now, this is also the turn that you've mentioned before where it goes, where it tries to go completely serious at this point. At a certain point, so they've already struggled with the tone of the movie because from scene to scene, they're scene to scene, line to line, they're flipping back from horror to comedy, horror to comedy trying to balance it, doing a terrible job of doing so. But you're right, the last final half an hour of the film, it's not scary, but it just becomes serious. The acting's very serious. Outside of an occasional funny line from John Witherspoon, everything's pretty serious now because they're going towards their climax, which they haven't earned, which is, we're cheering for them to kill Maximilian and for her to save herself. No, we're not. (laughs) That's what she wants to be cheering, but you haven't earned it. We're cheering for Eddie Murphy to win. Uh, Well, again, he somewhat gets a small victory when he bites her. Yeah. He he gets her alone. They dance. And then he noms. And by the way, them dancing, that whole scene is so boring. (laughs) This this point in the movie drags so much. We're just like, get on with it. And yet he liked the church scene. Because evil is good. How do you not like that? That That's amazing. that, well, you find That's right. Evil is good. You find oh, by the way, out of the most by the way, we, I, I, we, I have to have, go over my favorite scene also. By the way, all right, it's Eddie Murphy in the limousine being driven by Julius. By the way, and, my most hated scene. And Julius starts talking too much, and Eddie burns his neck and says, "I'm warning you to drive the car and shut your fucking mouth." God damn it! And I don't know why. It's just hilarious when he's yelling at him and cussing because he has the accent, but him cussing, that's the kind of, that's, I want to see more of that, more comedy push. So for me, <laughs> it, it, annoys damn the, it. it annoys the living hell out of me because it was just, it's completely out of goddamn fucking nowhere. <laughs> I told you he has a small trigger. The man needs therapy, all right? He gets angry very easily, all right? I'm fine. I was completely fine with him, you know, warning him to sh- and drive the car. He and needs then to all go- of a sudden he just kept going and going. I'm like, dude, shut up. No one cares. You've already made your point. He needs to go bite a therapist, take over his body, and get free therapy, all right? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> this is a cry for help for Maximilian, all right? He needs therapy. Anyways, so let's get back to our going towards the end now, basically. And now the voodoo guy is involved again. Yep, and, uh, and we, Max it, reveals who Rita's father is. Darth Vader. Yes. Really, Eddie says, Rita, I am your father. And I'm Last like, one. holy shit, this just took a turn for the weird. So we're watching Wrong Turn Vampire Edition? Yes. I didn't know there was a third reboot. We thought it was Brooklyn. It's really West Virginia. God damn it. Ah. Oh, yeah. Voodoo guy's name. Zico. He should be Dedo. Decapitated O. Cheerios. Maybe not Cheerios. <laughs> he gets spared. And, oh, okay. One slight turn back to comedy when Alan Payne walks in. And Julius is like, I got him. And he starts breaking out the kung fu moves. But he misses him completely with his jump kick. And what happens is his eyeball falls off. Yep. And rolls across the floor. And Alan Payne just sat there and watched, like, what just happened? Yeah. One brief moment of comedy, and then we turn back to... Um, this random-ass fight. So, I'm fine with a fight against a vampire, even though technically a vampire would... Ri- We've already seen Eddie Murphy's character rip him to shreds. Yes. So, it comes to mind that if Eddie Murphy actually throws a punch, his head's going to pop off just like in Jason Takes Manhattan. But he's not fighting Justice. Now he's fighting Jason Bourne, so. Yeah, because out of nowhere. He's fighting Tommy from Part 5. Yeah, because out of nowhere, Justice just somehow knows martial arts. He's fighting the, the gently the one version, all right? Right. I, I mean, I'm fine with a character in a horror movie knowing martial arts, but please establish that. You know, the biggest cliche there is is that 
the villain character at the end turned into at, a bumbling idiot. Well, as he's killed all his villains, like or he's killed all his victims pretty quickly during the movie. When it comes to the final person, he throws him across the room and said, "Why are you throwing him across the room? Kill him!" Because he watched Jason goes to hell. Oh, Maximilian, why? Just kill him. You don't kill the voodoo guy. You don't kill on pain. And and I go back to hey. Maximilian's really not a bad guy. He's really like, he doesn't want to kill anybody. He's like, ah, you're a nuisance. But he's not that bad of a guy. Everybody he's killed has been in the name of getting Angela Bassett. It's a part of the mission. He didn't kill anybody randomly without cause. No, he only killed himself like three times. Yeah. All he's doing is eliminating his own counterpart. Oh, and, and his the, doppelgangers. And that white girl. Hey, she might have lived. What happens at the ending? This movie confused me and I'm so disappointed um, now. Angela Bassett stabs him. Why? Because she doesn't want to kill Julius because her love for Julius is stronger than Not the Julius, love. Justice. Justice. Julius is the ghoul. The Mountain Dew sinks in Nick's brain and, and melts his brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's at that time. We got to end this podcast soon. <laughs> I mean, I'm only shaking a little bit. Oh, my God. Granted, I haven't had a Mountain Dew in probably three days. Yeah, so the tolerance is low. So it's anticlimactic when Maximilian dies because... We're still cheering for his character. We don't want the happily ever after for Justice and Angela Bassett because they haven't earned it. They haven't been a couple. We don't like them. They have no chemistry. So, but the movie's going to give us what it's going to give us. It's not going to give us the happy ending. Well, it's going to give us the happy ending, but the one we don't want. Oh, no. It gives us a happy ending for Rita and Justice, and it gives us somewhat of a happy ending for Julius when he puts on Maximilian's ring. In case this movie would end up being a hit, which it was not, they did want to set up the sequel, so they had Julius the Ghoul turn to the vampire, Yep. and John Witherspoon was going to be his ghoul. Yep, and they actually had a name for this movie, Julius in Brooklyn. Which doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, so. it doesn't. But you kind of can't say, I mean, I guess you could say Vampire in Brooklyn 2. We've already seen Julius in Brooklyn, right? It's the story of the character from Part 8 getting his head knocked off by Jason on top of that roof, right? That was well, Julius. Well, Jason just save multiple people from an idiot? He, sh- he shouldn't be dead. Well, he knocked his head off, so maybe so. All right, let's get to our final thoughts. Well, because... I guess we really don't need to say much since we already went through a lot during the opening. I, I want to surmise how I feel because the movie, to give some more background also, because we did research the hell out of, there's not much uh, substance to the story, so we researched a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I was watching Eddie Murphy on their Cine Hall show, is the interview on YouTube back from 1992, and at the end of the interview... Uh, Arsenio asked him what's he's working what, what is he working on and he says that his brother Charlie just wrote an awesome vampire movie that takes place in Brooklyn and gives some details so Charlie at least wrote at least the first draft and I'm sure Eddie helped with it so this was their their brainchild it wasn't some random movie that was given to Eddie later on Eddie Murphy said that he only did Vampire in Brooklyn because he needed Paramount to release the rights for Nutty Professor but Charlie wrote it so this was his movie so I don't believe that but then we get the Wes Craven side of the story. So then they had him and um, him and Wes share the same agent. So they got a meeting together and Wes said that Eddie was the biggest fan of Hills Have Eyes, was able to even repeat his favorite lines from Hills Have Eyes to Wes. So they clicked on that. Wes agreed to the movie. Wes says that he wanted more comedy in it and but that Eddie wanted to play it straight and not do more comedy. Well, Which he, well, doesn't make sense, does it? Well, if Eddie Murphy really liked Hills Have Eyes, he probably wanted to actually scare people. I mean, you know, there's a lot of comedians that when they get a role like this, they legitimately want it to be scary. They want to show their range of acting in something other than comedy. I get that, and it makes sense, but apparently Wes was thinking, wow, I'm working with Eddie Murphy. I get to show my 
comedic chops as a director now. He was thinking opposite. So there's two sides that pull here. Eddie's thinking, oh, Wes, he's going to help me make a serious horror movie. And I think Wes is thinking, oh, Eddie, he's going to help me make the, the comedy horror movie that, that I haven't made before. And what you get is a weird mix where, as we talked about earlier, there's not enough horror, there's not enough comedy, and they don't mix together well. We don't know what the tone is. Eddie does a great job as a vampire, but the problem is it's almost like this is the wrong movie for him. I've been trained my whole movie watching life to cheer for Eddie Murphy, not to see him as a villain. So... My entire conscience is thinking that Eddie's the good guy, pretty much. And this movie does not have him do enough bad things to sell him as the villain. He's just killing himself in half the scene. And there's nothing wrong with that. Getting rid of your doppelgangers in the universe is probably a good thing. So so I don't um, I don't fault Eddie, but it's almost like, in a weird way, this movie would have been better with a different actor because then they could have played straight horror. With Eddie is the reason why they're, they're shoehorning in comedy, but it doesn't fit. It's a weird balance. We want a vampire movie where, where Eddie's fighting the vampires and it's comedic. That's perfect. Give us that movie. Give us, give us the Lost Boys with Eddie as the guy fighting against the vampires. With this movie, still all that said, let me say, there's some good moments, and it is entertaining. I start this podcast by defending it. It's better than a 4.5. It is a slightly, slightly, very slightly above average movie. Very slightly. I'm not hanging my hat on, on above average. It's very slightly, right over the line. The same, it's the same way that Troll 2 is right above the line. So right there, right, right there with Troll 2. Right there, Nilbog, right? Right there. So it's on that same level, man, you know? It's reaching for the stars. It doesn't quite hit the stars, but it, um, it reaches the top of the Empire State Building, so whatever. But uh, so as per the stars, I'm reaching here, Nick. I'm reaching. Oh, you reached. Two fucking reached. 2.5. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it. 2.5 only because of three things. Eddie... My boy Kadeem Hardison and the legendary John Witherspoon. There's enough comedy, enough to make it somewhat entertaining. 2.5. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go as far as say it's a good movie. It's not a good movie. But in the right state of mind, you can have fun watching it. And there's a rewatchability too. You can rewatch it. And the first half of the movie is really good. The second half of the movie. The, the, it hits a flat tire and the towers explode and the car goes off a bridge. But the first half of the movie is pretty good. 2.5. Okay, so now that Vic is now running away because he doesn't want to hear me fuck this movie all to hell. Mr. Negativity, coming, on, coming along. I'm used to this. So, first off, no to the main characters. We don't need no Angela Bassett in this movie. She's a great actress and all, but she did nothing for this movie. We don't need Alan Payne for this movie. He's a good actor. He's funny. He did nothing for this damn movie. We don't need... Okay, actually, we didn't need a Julius. Uh, Eddie Murphy. He was intimidating until he started talking. You know, I did like the look of the character. Like the little the trench coat he had... Wearing all black, a suit. You know, something about suits just automatically screams evil. True. Um, but then he started talking, and I was like, why? And then it goes downhill, downhill. We get the god-awful church scene. It's just It just dragged for so damn long. Evil is good. 
That was literally the entire scene, people. Anyone who hasn't seen it, you now have seen it. Classic, best in the film. Classic, classic, classic. And then we get the ending, which made absolutely no sense. I did not cheer for the characters. And then all of a sudden, the characters I did not cheer for, of course, live because they are the protagonists. So at the end of the day, this movie can be classified as a pile of shit. It can be classified as a good movie, depending on how you decide to look at it. But I'm going to classify this as a 1.5, especially since... And Vic is very lucky. I'm not going to acknowledge that. 1.5? You are lucky, sir. I am not going to give it the same rating. I will give Troll 2, since you just compared them as being the same. I know you love Troll 2, all right? And Troll get, 2 getting a fucking when, zero, sir. When we get there, your true feelings will come out. It's going to be a zero. I'm not going to address that right now, because when we do the podcast, your true feelings will come out. And your 1.5 is a debauchery, right? No, so for Vampire in Brooklyn, I'm giving it a 1.5. Be thankful I do not listen to Vic when he said it is exactly like Troll 2. Everyone, I hope you have a good night. Folks, next week we have Return of the Living Dead. We're gonna have some fun with that one. It might reach the levels of Vampire in Brooklyn and Troll 2. I have to rewatch it and see how I feel about it. We'll find out next week. Until then, stay away from dark alleyways, stay away from the mafia, and if you see a boat mysteriously come into your dock, Check the disco room because you'll find Kelly Hughes' dead body. Or if you see Eddie Murphy with a wig on. Ah.